So, good to see everybody today. Glad you're here today. Uh, I want to commend Ellie. Uh, I would have missed on purpose. So, yeah, I think the first two were legitimate tries, and then when she did get a chance. But that's all going to play into what I'm going to say in a minute, and it's not, it's not in my favor. It's not a reality that, that I'm proud of. I'm just reporting facts, not, uh, not commendable things. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. So last Sabbath, uh, really last weekend, was, was a crazy time for our space here. We had our worship service here. And then Saturday night was the Boulder Chamber Orchestra was here, and their event went very well. And then <clears throat> Sunday morning, the well was here, the, the church that we're renting to, at least through the first of next year. Uh, I had some interaction with them, and as we expected, it looks like it may go a little longer. Um, so I think we were expecting that going forward, and, uh, and it's been a, I think it's been a good interaction so far, so, so I think we'll be very open to the possibility of that going a little longer. But anyway, I got here early. I, I came in on Sunday, and I got here before they were done, so I got a chance to interact. They're really nice folks, a really nice congregation. It's kind of funny, though, when you're comfortable in a space and you're walking around, you kind of feel like you should be greeting everybody, and so I'm greeting these people, and they're looking at me like, who in the world are you? But anyway, they got greeted, so that's what happened. Anyway, so I was here early because last Sunday was Porch Fest, the big neighborhood event, and this was the biggest and greatest one yet, um, and they're all, the organizers are really happy about it, and we played our part, which is we hosted two bands out in the front, and then we also leave the doors open for folks to use the restrooms. And it's not really our parking lot anymore, but they park the food trucks out in the parking lot area. And so it was a real good event. It went extremely well. And I'm very appreciative to uh, the Marshes who came out. And Kathy King was here. Uh, and uh, Gloria and family were here. And uh, so we had a good time. So when it was just me here, the bathrooms were functional. But once everybody else got here, we turned into a friendly group, and we were providing water and, and all kinds, of, and, and Gloria made coffee and all kinds of things. So, so if you just have me, you just have the minimum. But when you get the rest of the church involved, then it really gets special. So, so good event. Thank you to everybody that was able to participate, and uh, we will continue to... Uh, to grow our involvement as we go forward there. Uh, there was a significant event that took place this last week that you might notice, I hope you do, and that is that we steam cleaned the pews and the carpet in the sanctuary and in the, the foyer area there, in the lobby area. And uh, it was quite frightening what the water looked like when they dumped it out. <clears throat> so uh, you can feel good about that, that all of that is no longer in the building. Um, <clears throat> they are going to come back and look at a couple spots. Debbie's got them coming back to look at a couple spots because uh, apparently we have soiled the carpet in the lobby quite effectively. And uh, we'll see if there's any more that can happen there. But, uh, but that got done in this area and down the halls and, uh, and, in, the, and in the community room. So, so awesome. Appreciate Debbie setting that up and getting all that done and, uh, this week. All right, a couple things on schedule. 
One thing is you're not going to see Alicia, my lovely wife, for at least four Sabbaths. Because this Sabbath, she's doing a grief seminar at Loma Linda University. Then she's going to be in Newfoundland after that for a women's event. And then she's going to be in Port Charlotte, Florida on October 7 uh, to do an event there. And I'm actually going out there and we'll join her for part of that time. So I'll be gone on the 7th, which is information we'll get to in a second. And then on the 14th, she'll be in Marietta, Georgia. So she's traveling all around the country and even Canada over the next four weeks. Um, but then she'll be back after that. But speaking of the schedule, since I'm gone October 7, we have a very important guest speaker that day, and that will be Dina King, who will be speaking again after the amazing job she did for us earlier this year. Um, I said, you have to do it again. She said, can I wait till the season is largely over? I said, yes. When is that? She said, October. So October 7, we're good to go. I'm looking forward to that again. And then on the 21st of October, Pastor Molly will be speaking. So we're all very much looking forward to that. And there may be some other events on that day. We'll see uh, details to come on that. Uh, uh, November 11, uh, Alicia will be speaking for us. So instead of talking everywhere else in the world, she's actually going to talk to us here. And she's going to tell the story that day that we have been wanting to tell, wanting her to tell for a while, but it's just never worked out, uh, the rather remarkable story of what happened with our son Nathan when he was 14 years old. So that will be November 11. Uh, and then December 2, we're targeting for another communion service. Since you all missed the last one, very sorry. Uh, we're going to do it again. And uh, so December 2. And then December 9... Former Pastor Japheth will be here to uh, carry us strongly into the Advent season. So, look forward to those dates coming up. Any date I didn't mention is me. So that's how that works. All right. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your spirit, for your goodness to us, for your mercy to us. Lord, uh, but that sort of implies maybe we should be merciful too. Uh, help us, Lord. We're going to need help with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 6, continuing our slow walk in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So we're in a section of the book of Luke here in chapter 6 where you get his synopsis of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not nearly as long as what Matthew does. He does chapters 5 through 7 on this Sermon on the Mount. Luke crams it all into uh, somewhere around 20, 30 verses in chapter 6. And I guess, I mean, Matthew was literally there, so he probably had a few more notes. And uh, Luke just got the story later on. So, so we, can, we can forgive him for not being as detailed. But we're in that section. And last Sabbath, if you recall, we started on it, kind of Luke's shortened version of the Beatitudes. And, and we called it reversals. And one of the things we reflected on last Sabbath 
is, is this troubling reality that it is as though our fallen human nature cannot handle prosperity very well. If we're not well formed on the inside, the more blessing we have, the more power we have, the more authority we have, the more corrupt and self-centered we seem to become. And, and I proposed to you this thesis last week, not because I like it, but because I think it's true. The greatest dangers to our righteousness, faithfulness, and spirituality are wealth, comfort, and ease. Nothing causes us to fall away from what God has called us to be like wealth, comfort, and ease. And that's why in the book of Luke, Jesus says, therefore Jesus says, the poor are blessed, but woe to the rich. Now he's not saying the poor will eventually be blessed, even though, yeah, he does say that ultimately they will be. But it's even deeper than that. He says, the poor have an advantage over the rich. Because the rich have what they need and don't know they need God. Whereas the poor understand they need God. So he says, the poor are blessed, but woe to the rich. He says, the hungry are blessed, but woe to those who are full. The weepers are blessed, but woe to those who laugh. The despised are blessed, but woe to the popular. It's reversals. He turns it on its head from what we think, from what we want. And it raises the question, can God trust us with material blessings? Or does he know us so well that he knows it'll destroy our souls? It's a troubling thought. But unfortunately, I'm not sure that what we're going to reflect on today is going to be way better than that. See, this is the problem when we really address what Jesus is saying instead of what we want Jesus to be saying. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. <clears throat> but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, <clears throat> bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So a most troubling thought occurred to me this week as I was reading this passage. Although you're going to need context if you are to be as unhappy as I was when I thought it. But first, a story. Several weeks ago, I pulled my car into the parking lot of the Safeway grocery store at the corner of Iris and 28th Street. That's closest to where I live. Now, usually when I go there, I'm coming from the house. So I go on down 28th Street, I turn right in there, and I park in one of those first two aisles along there, but this time I was coming from the church, so I was coming down Iris, and I turned right into the shopping center, I came in from another direction, and I was found myself parking on a row I don't usually park on. Now that may seem strange to you all, but I am very much a person of pattern and routine. 
and to park in a different place than I usually do in a parking lot can throw me off sometimes. But anyway, I had parked in a different spot. I pulled down the row and I turned in between a car I don't remember and a, a large, pristine, black luxury SUV of some type. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it, it was a Cadillac Escalade or, or something like that. I can't remember for sure. Now, the parking place was a bit tight because, you know, that's a big vehicle, and I can't remember what was on the other side, but I think they were a little close to the line. So I squeezed my way in there, and knowing that it was a little tight, I was very careful opening my door because the, the SUV was on the driver's side. Very careful opening my door, yet somehow I just ever so lightly touched the side of the SUV with the tip of my door. Just, just like barely touched it. I thought, oh, I should be careful. And it was at that moment I realized there was someone in the SUV. So I got out very carefully and I looked real quick and it wasn't a chip. I didn't see anything. So I closed my door and started to walk. And as I was walking away, a youngish man, likely in his early 30s, shouted, Hey, did you just hit my car? So I came back. And while he berated me for my carelessness and for walking away without saying anything, he then insisted that we look again to see exactly what had happened. And we went and looked, and if you looked very carefully at the perfect angle, you could see the slightest little line where the door had touched the side. His initial threat to me was, what's your insurance? You're going to have to fix that. Well, I didn't see much sense in arguing, so I said, well, all right, let me get it. But I think at that point he realized both the insurance company and the repair shop would have laughed at him for bringing a car in with a dent that you basically needed a magnifying glass to see. And so, so he backed off of that demand, and I left and went into the store. When I came back out, his car was gone, but I noticed something new on my car door that I hadn't seen before. There were now two parallel scratches with a little bit of scratch in between there that, that I don't think I could have done while driving. They kind of looked like maybe they were done with a key. Now, I can't say for sure because I didn't see it. And I'm not always the most observant person, but I don't think those scratches the way they were. And if we want to take a field trip later, I'll take... Oh, I didn't bring my car. I rode my bike. Ah, never mind. Um, I don't think those scratches got there from something I did while driving. And if I'm wrong here, Lord forgive me, but I think the angry guy whose car I touched and ever so slightly dented decided I needed a lesson or something like that which is kind of funny if you pause for a moment to reflect that here I am 
a 58-year-old man in my decent but far from pristine 2018 Subaru Forester that I needed a lesson from a young man in a car I could never afford to buy or even need at this point in my life and that somehow two scratches on my car door was going to affect the way I felt about my car which has a few more scratches than that already but I guess I needed a lesson now in the context of this event and the text that we read the easy application is this that guy should not have been so angry especially since there really was no actual damage he should have been merciful and laughed about it with me and I could have apologized and said how sorry I was and it would have been all good but instead he got angry and he did a bad thing on purpose far worse than the very minor thing I did accidentally so here's the easy conclusion he's the bad guy and it would be justifiable for me to be angry at him and if I had evidence make him fix my car he needed to apply the verses we just read to himself and he needed to be nice to me right you see he was in the position of power since I had sort of done something wrong and he knew it but as the position in, as the person in power he should have been gracious just like if I was in the one in power I should be gracious okay okay that is a point that I believe is true and one we need to receive when we're in a position of power we should be gracious it is consistent with Jesus teaching that we be gracious when we have power not abusive with power and authority unfortunately that is actually not an accurate reading of what Luke 6 27 to 29 is actually saying and what it is saying addresses me very directly regarding this story I just told you but not necessarily in the manner I would prefer listen to these words again verse 27 but I say to you who hear love your enemies and do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you to the one who strikes you on the cheek offer the other also and from one who takes away your cloak do not withhold your tunic either this passage isn't talking about being benevolent when you hold power it's actually saying the opposite be gracious even when you're wrongly treated that's what it's saying and that is what is most troubling I am expected to show grace and mercy when I hold power but I am also expected to be gracious and merciful even when I don't even when I'm the one being abused that's what it says so what am I supposed to do offer up the passenger side as well for scratches I guess that would be literal here's a problem when we read the Bible there are always ways that we want to apply the text to ourselves and others 
And often, that's not what it says. We read, blessed is the poor. And we think, oh, yes, Lord. I am so poor. But we're not. We're not the poor. We have access and means to get basically everything we need. Maybe we're not the ridiculously wealthy, but we're not the poor. So when we read, blessed are the poor, we shouldn't be in a big hurry to apply it to ourselves. It's not us. We're happy to read these texts and think, others should be gracious and merciful with me. And that's true. But that's not something I can control. What I can control is whether or not I am gracious and merciful, whether I hold the power or not. And in some ways, this passage gets worse. Luke 6, verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So there's two things being said here. One where I have control, and one where I don't. I don't like giving to those who beg. I might if I knew the story, but I don't know the story. All I know is someone wants something from me for nothing, and it's easy for me to suspect they don't deserve it. They're appealing to my compassionate nature. And sadly for them, I don't really have one. Or at least I don't really have one for people I don't know or have a reason to care about. I'm confessing this is true, not as commendable, okay? It's just a fact. The cashless society has been a good thing for me because I never have anything anyway. Sorry, man, I got nothing. Yet somehow I struggle to feel righteous in this regard. There is a great deal of scripture that looks askance at my attitude, if not in fact downright condemns it. And then there's part two of this passage, the one where someone takes something from me and doesn't give it back. I have done this to poor Russ and Doris Hansen. Sorry, Russ. Early on, Russ lent me a book that he wanted me to read, but also wanted back. And what did I do? I lost it. I haven't been able to find it for two years. Take this as fair warning about lending me things, I guess. I'm still sorry about this, Russ, and I'm thankful you've been gracious about it. But it isn't fun when someone takes something from you that you care about and never gives it back. But now wait a minute. Are the ideas we've been exploring so far actually sustainable? Is it actually sustainable to live this way? Is Jesus just advocating chaotic codependency where we just enable terrible people to keep doing terrible things? Where is the accountability? All right, for the record, I don't think Jesus is championing anarchy and codependency here. Rather, I think he is attempting to make the point 
that what goes on inside of us is far more important than what goes on outside of us. And we need to be sure we have the right spirit working on the inside. To support that, I think the next verse can help. Luke 6, verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So this is about inside becoming what you do outside. It's the golden rule. And just an aside here, I don't know if this is just me, but I feel like we don't talk about the golden rule as much as we used to when I was younger. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not right on that. Maybe I'm just not with the kids anymore and it gets talked about there, but, but somehow that one doesn't seem to come up as often. <clears throat> Here's the thing about the golden rule. It works wonderfully if we all follow it in that if we all behave this way, none of us would be abusers when we have power and all of us would be gracious regardless. But clearly, we don't all follow it. And likely, none of us follows it all the time. And this is why we have what Jesus refers to in verse 27 as enemies. But do you remember what Jesus said to do with our enemies? Don't miss throwing the fun things in their cup on purpose. See, that's what I would have done. I'd hit the family one, I'd hit the friends one, and the other one I'd have chucked across the room. No way my enemies get one of those. No, that's not it. Verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. The direct application, the guy whose car I touched was happy to be my enemy. I don't know that he literally cursed my name, but he didn't talk good about me. My response should have been to pray for him, according to this. I'm working on that. Even when they're bad to me, Jesus, is that what you're saying? Well, yes, of course, when they are bad to me because if they weren't bad to me, they wouldn't be my enemies, would they? I mean, I'm a real jerk if people are nice to me and I still make them enemies. Which brings us to the next verse, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I don't like that section very much. I just can't quite see what's in it for me in the here and now. But then that's exactly the problem, isn't it? My fixation on comfort and ease in the here and now. What is happening outside of me over what is happening inside of me. 
If I only love the people who love me, that's not very impressive. In fact, it would be bad if I didn't. And if I only do good with the expectation of an equal return, that won't make me stand out in a good light at all. As for the lending part, Russ, I guess you got burned on that one. Sorry, man. But can we really call it lending if we don't actually expect to get it back? Isn't that called a grant or something like that? I don't know. Or a gift? Now a caveat here. And I'm going to read this the way I wrote it here because I want to make sure that, that you hear this clearly and that I get it right. Jesus is specifically addressing individuals in the manner in which we interact with other individuals that we may encounter throughout the course of our lives. So this council is, is individual to individual. This gets kind of squirrely when we try to turn it into government action or something like that. No, somebody's got to create order. But Jesus is directly addressing individual reactions here. And certainly he is making his point in the extreme without the details of the various situations of our lives being fully explored. And so it is impossible to just say all of this blanket applies to everyone in every situation. There is a point where kindness and generosity becomes enabling in a manner more harmful than the withholding of a gift. But we cannot use the specific excuse to excuse us from the greater application. So what is the greater application? I want to suggest to you verse 36. And here it is. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's the greater application. That's the point Jesus is making. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Your standard for behavior is not me. It's not faith. It's not Jared. It's not Mark. It's not Peter. It's not even Pastor Molly, although that's not a bad, not a bad start. Your standard, my standard, is the Father in heaven. And what does he do? Well, according to verse 36, I'm sorry, verse 35, he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. That's a tough standard. So, band, come on back up here. We're going we're gonna to have to sing this out in a minute. So how do we wrap this up? Here's the problem. This passage doesn't necessarily say what we want it to say. What we want the passage to say is that everyone has to be kind and patient and gracious and fair with me. But what the passage actually says is that I need to be kind and patient and gracious and even more than fair, yes, with the people that are that way with me, but even more so with the people who aren't. This passage is not a statement of my rights. 
This passage is a declaration of my responsibilities. And I confess, I don't love that. And don't go running to Matthew's version of Jesus' words in hope of a safe haven. You won't find it. If anything, Matthew raises the bar. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what? I think I'm just going to work on merciful like the Father before I go for perfect like the Father. Now, don't miss the point here. This is, this is not a discussion of what it takes to be saved. Okay, what it takes to be saved is faith in Jesus Christ. This is a discussion about whether you're going to live by what Jesus teaches or not. You see, the pattern for the believer is to live according to the word that Jesus gives. And the word that Jesus gives is be merciful. Be merciful like the Father. Jesus says, Luke 6, 27, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Yeah, wow. It's going to take some amazing grace at work in my life to make this happen. You see, I would have to stop being centered on myself and what I want and have to become open to the needs of others, even the needs of my enemies. Can anybody really do that? Well, you know, the Father did that. Romans 5, verse 8, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is the challenge. Can you show love even to those who hate you? I'm not saying we don't have boundaries. I'm not saying that we get ourselves into codependent relationships. That's, that's completely different. But what I'm talking about is what is on the inside of you. Can you show love? It's going to take amazing grace.